and welcome to the Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about next-generation technologies in the Retail IT channel with two special guests. Brad Holloway is the president of Next Touch, a restaurant reseller based in Scottsdale, Arizona, that was known until 2015 as Copper State Restaurant Technologies. Brad has been active in the RSP for many years, serving as RSP board member, secretary treasurer, and a term as board chairperson. Brad has established a reputation as a forward-thinking VAR, and as evidence of that, earlier this year, he received his master's degree in digital currency. Brad, congrats on the degree, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. Good to talk to you. And our second special guest is Greg Dixon. Greg is one of the original six ScanSource employees when the distributor was founded in 1992. And today he serves as the company's chief technology officer and technology evangelist. He's a well-known and sought after speaker in our industry, but his primary role is developing and managing strategic technology initiatives for ScanSource, advising on when, how to enter, and how to participate in new technologies. And for the next 45 minutes or so, his primary role will be advising you, our listeners and viewers, on the channel technology landscape. Hey, Greg, thanks for your time today. All right, good to be here. Hope I can live up to that. <laughs> All right, I'm sure you will. Before we get to our questions, our audience might be wondering why we're featuring two guests instead of a more traditional one-on-one -on -one interview for a podcast, and here's why. The biggest strength of the RSPA is the community and the partnerships that can be forged, and sometimes where you least expect them. So what we're gonna do on many episodes of The Trusted Advisor is show the RSPA community in action by having guests share their unique perspectives and see where the conversation takes us. That's what happens every day among RSPA members in the RSPA community, and we thought it'd be interesting to share that with you. All right, let's rock and roll. So before we discuss next-gen technologies and where each of you see the retail IT channel going, Let's talk about each of your company's transformation. So, Greg, first, ScanSource has made several acquisitions over the years, and this wasn't a situation where you were a big distributor just purchasing smaller distributors. You were adding different technologies, different services, different business models. Can you share with our audience the what and the why behind ScanSource's transformation? Sure. So, um, we're 27 years old this year, and uh, about 25 of those years, we were a hardware distributor. That's what we did. And we were proud of it. We did a great job of it. We were the best at it. Um, but hardware uh, margins have, have diminished. And it's something that we all in our channel um, had to learn to live with. And so a few years ago, we began to think, okay, what, what's next for ScanSource? Where do we, how do we evolve from, um, from just being hardware? And so we decided uh, on, a, on a statement like this, what would it look like to be a global provider of technology solutions and services? And it was a sentence, a topic that gave us a little target to shoot at. And so we went away and, and came back with a sort of a plan for that. And so um, solutions, what would, it, what would it mean to distribute so, complete solutions? And so I said, okay, so maybe we have the hardware components of the thing, what are we missing? And so we're missing the, uh, the software component. We have to figure out how to sell software as a service. You can't sell perpetual licenses anymore. Um, and then what about the rest of the network? We're great at local area network, but what about the wide area network part of that solution? And so if the network were software, hardware, 
the network and then services. What are the services that are necessary to make a solution, uh, to make it work and keep it working? And so the answer to that question was, we have some things to accomplish. We have some missing, missing pieces here. And so we've done that with some strategic acquisitions. We made a bunch of acquisitions, like you said, other distribution uh, groups along the way. But we, uh, about three years ago, we acquired the largest um, 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 master agent that would be called, that's Intellisys. And they brought us the cloud and carrier services piece of the business. Then uh, POS portal that that got us into the payments part of the retail business. That was another piece that we were missing. And then um, most recently, our uh, most recent acquisition is NT. INTY uh, is the name of the company. They're a, a software SaaS platform. And so that gave us the SaaS piece, the software piece of this solution. So now we have all four pieces of all four legs of the table, so to speak. And uh, that's given us the ability now to really change the way ScanSource uh, goes to market, what we do for a living, and as a as a solutions distributor now. Great. And you mentioned the four legs of the table. Can you detail that uh, for folks? I know you've drawn up the chart actually in that office that you're sitting in right now. Yeah. Uh, for Paint that so, for uh, for the audience. So imagine a, a maybe I will call it a solutions table uh, with a platform here, and a table has four legs. And the four legs are software first. That's the first leg you come to because it's the software that defines and solves the problem. Then there's the hardware that makes the software work and connects the person to the software. And that's mostly with us. That's mostly edge soft, edge hardware products, the point of sale terminal, the mobile term, the mobile terminal, the, um, the telephone, the security camera, various things out at the edge of the network. And uh, then there's the network. That's the third leg of the table. That's both LAN and WAN, okay? Those are some terms for you, but the local area network and the wide area network, components of the thing. And then finally, the services is the fourth leg. And uh, those services are uh, most anything that makes a solution work and keeps it working. Great, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. I remember when he drew that up the first time, I was like, mm -hmm. yes, that paints such a clear picture of what your organization does and then also what solution providers mm -hmm. Uh, need to do as well. So, Brad, let's talk about your company. You've changed more than just your name uh, in the last four years. Can you talk about how your VAR business has transformed? And then I'm hoping you can also share with us why you invested the time and money into a master's in digital currency. I'm also curious, was it mandatory that you had to pay for the degree in Bitcoin as uh, well, or did they take checks? Well, okay. <laughs> First of all, yeah, they, they're one of the only universities in the world. It's actually the University of Nicosia in Cyprus, the only place that has a uh, an advanced degree in. And digital currency was it what it started as. It's more, I would say, uh, crypto economics and token economics, because it's it's almost like an EM, MBA for the for the new uh, economic system of uh, uh, you know cryptocurrency and so forth. Crypto economics. It's more than currency. Um, but yeah, so next touch, where, where did that happen? Well, you know, we've been actually, Greg, you said, has it been 25 years? Did you say 25 years you guys have been uh, in 20, business? 27. Wow, that's amazing. So we've been in business 50 years. Um, and actually, my granddad graduated from NCR retail school in 1923. I've got a wow. picture of him and Patterson Jr. And his certificate from 1923. In Dayton, so, Ohio. It's crazy. Yeah, my dad was in the business. My daughters were in the business, and they decided this was a tough business, <laughs> and they wanted to do something they enjoyed more. Um, but uh, so anyway, so we started out years ago. My dad called it Copper State Cash Register Company back in 19 
69. And that was because Arizona had the, the three C's, cotton, copper, and climate. And uh, so copper was the number one producer in the world of copper at that time. Um, so Copper State was a common name. We kept that name because of family reasons, but I made a bold move about uh, five years ago now and became Next Touch. Wasn't so much that our business had changed, but our name needed to fit who we were. And so the reason we chose Next Touch is Next means leading edge technology and touch means local human touch. So we are a provider. We, the re, I always wanted a name that would say to our, to our employees who we are and what our mission is. So we are always pushing the edge of technology. And it's a good thing because I remember back in the day when I came in in 1985 to work with my dad, um, that the people that were in business in that, that time, not, none of them are even in business anymore. There were about six or seven cash register dealers, all gone, every single one of them. And the reason that we stayed was my dad was kind of an innovative guy. And I remember he and David Shaw got together back in the, probably in the 80s, and decided to take on a product from a company called Mitsubishi that had been created by Sperry. Long, long, long story short, the product didn't work because there wasn't enough bandwidth to download the data from all the stores. So they bought us out. But he was always pushing the edge. And I think that's why the business has survived. He had a stint with doing Commodore computers for schools for a while. Really but then, back in the, exactly. Yeah. So back in the uh, back in about the uh, when was it 90s? Uh, my partner, Tom, and I decided we're going to get out of everything because at that time, Micros was starting to really kick in and we were one of the original, we are one of the original Micros dealers. And uh, so we um, so we went that route. But again, that was innovation. And so we at that point, we decided we're going to get rid of everything and just be hospitality because we couldn't know everything. A lot, the world was getting too complex. And so on and on we moved. But local... Uh, Leading edge technology has always been a thing, which, re which really plays into partly why I went and got a two-year degree in the last couple of years, because I saw the world was changing. My, my philosophy is much like uh, who's the great uh, hockey player, um, uh, Wayne Gretzky, skate to where the puck is going to be. So we're always thinking that way. So we do crazy things. You know, we'll, we'll go out on a limb and do things. Um, but it's helped us, you know, it helped us with micros, it helped us with a lot of things. So that's really the evolution. The digital currency degree, again, was part of that, but also just because I have a, I have an attraction to shiny objects. <laughs> I'm, I'm much, actually, I'm much more interested in the theory than I am in the practical reality, much like You gotta live with that too, right? <laughs> yeah. Got it. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate the detail. And I'll, I'll say two points before we move on to the next question. I was just talking to my daughter yesterday and I gave her the guidance of if there's any hockey question, the answer is almost always Wayne Gretzky, right? Because he holds so many records and that was perfect today where he said that. And the other thing is, I really didn't think talking about next-gen te next technology, we'd be talking about the Commodore 64. Uh, we would start there, but it's interesting that it, uh, it has come up. We've come such a long way since plugging in uh, those cartridges. So, uh, Greg, let me uh, turn it back 
to you and we can talk about the next gen tech for the retail IT channel. And so part of the reason I want to start with you is last week you attended a conference that featured IoT, uh, artificial intelligence, blockchain, 5G, cybersecurity, other technologies. So can you start off our conversation? What technology or technologies do you think VARs and ISVs in the retail and IT channel need to pay attention to the most over the next 18 to 24 months? Like what's going to have a significant short-term and then long-term uh, impact? Well, I'm, I'm glad you start off with 18 to 24 months. A lot of people said, well, give me the three to five year approach. Well, the new three to five years is 18 to 24 months. Things moving, moving way too fast to talk about five years. Uh, in five years, we'll, you know, it, it'll be a different world that we live in. The way we do business will be altogether different because of these technologies that we're about to talk about. So um, this is a this is a near term approach. And and um, of those technologies that you that you named there, um, IoT is the closest one to us. Um, I'm a, I'm not a futurist. I'm a horizonist. And so these things are all now on the horizon. They're all things that we can see. We see them moving toward us. And I've been watching IoT the longest, and it's the closest. And so, uh, I'm a channel partner. We're a distributor. <clears throat> and so, if it doesn't make sense to our channel, it doesn't make sense. And so, IoT is one though that's it's one of those topics that's way too big, and you have to figure out how to bring it into the a context that makes sense. And so, one of the contexts that it makes sense in for us here is the supply chain. And so regarding retail, every retailer has a supply chain that they depend on. And so IOT is going to have a big, is having a big effect on supply chain economics, supply chain technologies. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if a retailer has uh, hard good products, they show up when they do, they're probably coming from uh, across an ocean somewhere, probably. And so we take for granted, we always think, well, our supply chain begins, you know, at some port somewhere, but it doesn't, it, it really begins where the manufacturer starts. And so knowing how long it takes to get here is important. Knowing what happened to it all along the way is becoming more and more important. And so, you know, we're in the barcode business scan source, right? That's our, that's our origin. You put a barcode on a product and you can track it when it leaves and track it when it arrives. If you upgrade that now to an RFID tag, you can track it more autonomously in more spaces, learn more about it in more real time. Um, but if you put a sensor on, on that product, you can determine all sorts of things about it. You can determine, yeah, when it left, but what was the temperature and time of day when it left? Um, was it dropped along the way? Which side was it dropped on and how many G-forces did it take? Was it, did it withstand um, 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 too much humidity or temperature changes along the way? You can actually have a graph that shows every temperature for every moment along its whole life cycle from the time it left the factory until the time that arrived at your back door. That's kind of maybe the end of the supply chain, of your supply chain as a retailer. And so, um, a lot of retailers want to know that they, they need to know that if they sell a product that that expires quickly or that has drop specs or that might um, expire too soon or even more if you're in the hospitality business and you're selling a product that that has a very short shelf life 
like uh, spinach or some such thing, right? And so its its supply chain began just a few days ago, you know, maybe someplace clear across the country or in Central America or someplace. And, and now we're not just talking about did the product work when the end user got it, but did it make the end user sick <laughs> or did it hurt them in some way? Did it give them, you know, a, a problem to have, have to go to the hospital? And so now there is, um, there's litigation involved. And so IOT is becoming such a critical part because of that sensor that you can put on a device and track its, pro its, uh, its progress all along the way through a supply chain. You can have so much better information about, uh, so, so go back to spinach again, you know, that, that particular thing has caused some problems for some, uh, one particular restaurant chain I won't mention. And, and you know, it wasn't the spinach guy who, to, who, uh, who took it on the chin, it was the restaurant who nearly went out of business because of that. And so, and so with that regarding, I'd want to know, you know, at what point along the line of my spinach supply chain did it spend too much time sitting in the sun or did it, was it moisture or what was the problem, you know? And so I, I just say all that to say IOT, those are really practical examples of how IOT in the internet of things now spinach is a thing that's on the internet or that, uh, that box of goods or that fi fixed product or whatever that, that, that garment, whatever those things are, that's now made it out into an end user's hand. And they're now consuming that thing, using it, depending on it, trusting it in some way. We can know a whole lot more about how that thing got to where it's, it's going. And so that if there's a problem, not that there needs to be too many finger, fingers to point, but with litigation, the being way it is, a litigious society that we live in, uh, we need to know, um, you know, at what point, you know, who, who's responsible for this thing it's, it's at every point along its supply chain. So IOT is the answer is an answer to your question. All of those things, my goodness, uh, artificial intelligence plays a big role. And here's why is that a lot of the IOT decisions that are being made are being made out at the edge with an edge computer. And uh, I think Brad, I'm gonna let Brad talk about that in a minute, but, but um, IOT depends not just on a sensor, but also on some intelligence out at the end, out at the edge of that technology. And then blockchain, I'm gonna mention that one just to say it, um, because blockchain not only gives us a, a good supply chain uh, way to put, a place to put the data, but it gives us a complete visibility to all the players all along the way of that supply chain from the very beginning to the very ending. And so I'll mention visibility. I think Brad's gonna talk a whole lot more about blockchain. I hope he does. He's got He's got the credentials to prove it, but um, but blockchain's also one that I think retailers should begin to pay attention to because it gives us a secure and complete view of all of that data all along the way. How's that? That's a good start, I suppose, right? <laughs> that is a lot to sink our, our teeth into. And Brad, before I get your comments on what Greg said, Greg and I have been talking about SaaS for years. I just never thought it would morph into spinach as a service. But I'm kind of glad to see. That's <laughs> kind of glad to see we've gone that far. That's yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So Brad, uh, you know, Greg focused on IoT. Also mentioned AI, blockchain. I guess where do you want to pick up on that conversation? Well, yeah. Uh, first of all, you know, I think what what Greg says, I'm I'm fascinated with that. I know that Walmart has an initiative to have all their suppliers of vegetables to be on a blockchain solution with IoT 
for the very reason you have discussed there, because they had a problem. You remember, I don't know if it was in your area, but I know it was out west here. There was a problem with romaine lettuce and the immense cost it cost to bring all that lettuce back. If it had been on a blockchain with full provenance of where it started from the field to where it ended in the store, they could have isolated surgically where that bad package came from and saved millions of dollars. That's why, that is why Walmart's mandated that technology. That is where the puck is headed. And people that are in the supply chain, I'm not in the supply, well, I'm at the end of the supply chain, you know, but people are in the supply chain that don't understand that are what are, are gonna be open for a rude awakening, so. But, the, and the blockchain, you know, people think of the blockchain, you know, it started in, two, in 2009 with a white paper by a guy named Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, and they don't even know if that was a guy, if it was a gal, if it was a group. So he's a, you know, a, a mysterious person. But the, I would recommend anybody, it's only eight pages, read the white paper, the blockchain white paper. Um, it's, you know, a little tough sledding for a while, but if you push your way through it, you can get through it. It was a fascinating idea because he took a problem of computer technology, basically fault tolerance in a distributed computing environment. How do you know that all the computers out there in a network are telling the truth? And so uh, he came up with an ingenious solution with age old technology. All the technology is decades old. Peer to peer networking is decades old. Um, you know, Cryptography, you know, hash, uh, SHA-256, we deal with that in the payment space. You know, all these technologies were, were coupled together and added one thing that the technologists didn't think about, and that was um, what motivates people, uh, game theory. And But when you use that as a consensus based upon Adam Smith's principle of people will do things in their own best interest, you build a monetary system that is immutable and rock solid. But it's not just money. You know, you think of Bitcoin. It's like if I were to ask you, Jim, back in 1990, uh, what is the Internet? You would have probably said, oh, it's email. Mm -hmm. Well, that's like the today if you say, well, what is the blockchain? Well, that is um, that's cryptocurrency. That's the furthest from the truth. It's, a, it's called it's 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 the Internet 3.0 and it's about decentralization. And it's about, um, about decentralization, and it's it's about the internet, the internet of trust, the internet of value. Because mm -hmm. what we have right now in the internet is you have all these silos. If you were to go to the internet, how do you get your credentials? Well, you go to Facebook, you go to Google, you go to all these different entities. Those are all centralized solutions, and it's a problem. <laughs> It's a massive problem. I have, I have this chart that I that I show people of all the breaches for the last 10 years. It is staggering. You know, if a Marriott Corporation can't manage their security, how in the world is Joe's restaurant going to manage their security? It's like if you wanted the perfect hotel for security for PCI, you would have in that hotel uh, bollards out front so somebody couldn't ram the front door. You'd have an air-gapped entrance. It would be dark inside and people wouldn't be allowed in. Mm. That's just to keep the PCI standard. And that's only one standard. So the problem is 
that when you centralize data or you centralize value, it becomes honeypots for hackers, right? So what's the solution? The only solution is decentralization. And that's what Greg was talking about, why on-premise and edge computing is the future. It's, it's ironic because back in the day, when I started in the business, the big computer was the 36, the IBM 36, all centralized. You walk into a room and it was elevated on the floor in an air-conditioned room and you go, this is the holy grail. And everybody walked by that room in awe. And then a guy named Bill Gates got out and said, we want one of these in every home. And people said, yeah, right. We're going to have, you know, well, that's, the, the, you know, history. And so now we go to the cloud and all of a sudden people are thinking, well, the cloud is the future. Well, yeah, cloud computing is the future. But what happens if it's on premise? So I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. If I were to ask you, what is the, who, what company has the most data centers in the world just a just hazard a guess and you're probably going to say one of three companies but what would you say greg what what's the largest who has the most google. data did you say who's that google google okay jim yeah i was going to say amazon okay they have the third ones those are the two of them the other one's microsoft that's what people okay. would say it's not it's a restaurant company a restaurant company called chick-fil-a they have 23 100 data centers. They're micro data centers on premise doing, doing compute, they're doing storage, and they're doing network. And they have 100,000 IoT devices in each store that they use an open source product called Kubernetes that manages. That is why they are the leader. They're closed on Sunday and they kill Starbucks and they kill uh, McDonald's as far as dollar return on investment because they're embracing IoT, they're embracing edge computing, they're embracing AI, they do AI on site. You think about it, I, well, I, I should stop there. We could go on for hours. <laughs> What's their name again? What's the restaurant's name? Uh, Chick-fil-A. Oh, this is Chick-fil-A, okay, all right. Yeah, 2,300 stores, every one has, uh, has a cluster of three Intel NUC servers running as that? a cloud computing in the restaurant on premise with zero latency no need for any bandwidth and the security is rock solid it's crazy i mean it's like they are doing in a micro server environment what amazon and microsoft and google are doing in hyper uh, hyper uh, what do they call it hyper sized <laughs> Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, Greg, can you add to that? I mean, Brad just uh, talked about a few different technologies from his perspective. Uh, what would you add uh, to what Brad just said? So I'll I'll um I'll piggyback right on that um, Chick Fil A example. So this sounds a little futuristic, and and it shouldn't because these things are are really closer than any of us think. And so imagine a uh, you know you, you don't want to sell. Um, so Chick-fil-A doesn't sell French fries. They have waffle fries, right? And they are, everything is fresh. Everything is perfect. You never are disappointed at a Chick-fil-A. And I'll tell you the way they do that. They have done that is with people, people being hypersensitive to how long those waffle fries have sat there before it's time to throw out the ones and put some fresh ones and, and make sure people are satisfied with, with waffle fries for heaven's sakes. 
but also their chicken and their buns and, and everything else. And so, so now they use a, imagine pointing a camera at the waffle fries that have been fried. They're sitting there. How long have they been there? And it uses an artificial intelligence engine to determine how do these waffle fries look? Used to be it was a person that watches it. Now it's a camera and artificial intelligence that's done on premises, like Brad said, and now it can give a it can give an operator, a manager, no, no, no. It can give a line worker instructions on don't serve these waffle fries, throw them out and put in, put some new ones in the in the oil. And so so little technologies like that are the ones that make the difference between um, a few basis points out at the edge that make ultimately turn into hundreds of millions, billions of dollars on a big operation like these, like these quick foods service restaurants. And I'm telling you, McDonald's and, and Chick-fil-A sit right across the street from one another where I'm from, and they compete head to head every single day. And I'll tell you the ones that we've solved all the big problems. You know, we solved the big problems in the supply chain, for instance, with a barcode or with an RFID problem, uh, tag. But nowadays we're working on that long tail of problems. What are the tiny little things, you know, instead of making $10,000 one time, let's work on making $1,000 10 times or $1 10,000 times. And so that's what, that's what IOT does for you and AI. And, and it gives you the ability to make those small decisions and an, a human, you'd never get a human to do that 10,000 times, but a machine could do it 10,000 times a second. And to get a machine to do it now, and now I'm making a difference out here that's very small, but multiply that times 2,300 restaurants, not 24 by 7, but 24, but, but about 18 by 6, right? Again, not open on Sundays. And they still beat the competition like a drum, I'm telling you. That's, yep. And that, that's an example of a little bit of AI and a little bit of IoT and some processing out at the edge of that network. And oh my goodness, the difference that it makes. Yeah, I, and, and you know, Greg, the thing is, I, I Googled about, uh, I did a presentation with the uh, local chapter of the, um, what's the show that we have down in, what's the annual show, the IT, the, the technology show, Jim? I'm, I'm having a senior moment. You talking here. about CompTIA? Not CompTIA, it's the, it's a POS technology show. Anyway, they have I mean, retail now is the one that I know, but I have a commercial yeah, about that later. This, but this you is know that. The big, this is big IT companies. I know Micros had started it and stuff like that. Anyway, mm -hmm. they have a local branch and we did the presentation. But it's like what Greg is saying is is dead on. You know, I, I pulled this this statistic off IDC. You heard of IDC, right? Okay. Yeah. So they they and I'm gonna read this to you. It says all told of a well, let me ask you a question first. How many, Greg, you may know this, how many IoT devices are in the field, active in the field? Yeah, you know that? Just short of one bazillion. So there yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's actually about, last year there was seven, let's see, what was it? It was seven billion active IoT devices. Now, according to IDC, by the year 2025, how many IoT devices, and this is, the, these are, these are smart computing devices. This isn't just, a, you know, these sensors are not stupid anymore. They've got a lot, you know, it's not an analog world anymore, it's digital. How many devices do you think IDC is projecting by 2025, five years from now? I'll tell you, it's 150 billion. <laughs> that, that number is right. 
And you know how much you know how much data is expected to grow by then? It's expected to grow to 175 zettabytes. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's 175 followed by 21 zeros. I mean, it's enormous. And the problem is centralized hyper data center, hyperscale data centers can't handle that. Right. The, the latency is a problem. The bandwidth will be um, impossible and security will be ripe because everything's traveling back and forth. So it's like, this is coming. It's like, it's like you, Greg, you said about, you know, and, and looking in the rearview mirror. I, I, I think of the first time I saw Jurassic Park with that little rearview mirror and the Tyrannosaurus Rex chasing the Jeep. <laughs> and it says, objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear. Mm -hmm. This That's is right. exactly one of those cases. I That's totally exactly. I agree with that. Hey, can, I, I, can I pause for a second? You guys are having a great conversation. And Greg, I'll throw this to you first. If I'm a small to medium-sized reseller listening to this, a VAR who has, I don't know, 10 employees, 15 employees, or smaller than that, mm -hmm. what do they do with this? Like, what can they do to have it impact their business or to have it benefit uh, their organization? Well, you have to stop um, defending and extending your existing program. If, if all you're going to do is say, well, this is all we've always done, and this is what we're always going to do, let's add a little bit, make a little better. You're really going to have to sort of rethink some things. And I think a way to go about that is to, is to, is to find a solution. We can help you do this, but, but even a very small retailer, I mean, a, a VAR who has probably an SMB VAR is probably serving SMB retail to, to use, to stay in the retail vertical here. Right. And they're probably, their chain stores aren't 2,500, but probably 25 stores in a chain perhaps, or a or hundred maybe. And so what those, what we did this two years ago is ask a bunch of end customers, tell us how you want to consume technology. And I'm going to tell you, they gave us eight really, really specific things. And one of them was we want less CapEx and more OpEx. That means let us buy technology the way that we make money. And retail is a, is a, is a, is a, is an OpEx business. It's a cash business. You don't have big chunks of, of dollars to spend on technology, they make, they make money at $1 at a time, you know? So they want to buy their technology that same way. And so an IOT solution by definition is an OPEX solution. And so a very simple um, IOT kind of scenario where you can help a customer track their customers around a store or help them with their supply chain, help them with their inventory control. Maybe they have assets they need to manage. A, a very simple little sort of starter application, and then take that th that sort of new technology that's paid for with a with a monthly bill, and take that back into those same retailers that they already sold point of sale to. Go, they sold the point of sale solution. Now let's go back in with a new a new technology solution. And of those of the, we're not talking about a hundred opportunities here. That's a hundred stores. You're going to sell it one time at the corporate level and you're going to get to implement it a hundred times. And now the, at the corporate level, they're not going to see what benefit you provide to one store, but what benefit you're going to provide to all hundred stores, because you're going to have that data now that's going to come back. It, you're going to filter out a lot of the data that comes. That's what some of that edge computing is going to do. 
kind of filter out the things you don't need, provide you with just the things you do, and then give some manager back at that sort of headquarters of those hundred stores a dashboard that they're able to look at and see what's going on in my stores today. Let me give you just one very practical example. How many stores have a cooler or a freezer <laughs> in the store, right? They sell something, they sell milk or cheese, or maybe they're a, a, a restaurant chain, hospitality. If they have a cooler or a freezer, then they, if they have 100 stores, they have 100 coolers and 100 freezers. And there's, there's an FDA regulation that says, if that food or product that's in that cooler rises above a certain temperature and stays there for maybe 36 hours, you have to throw it all out. You can't save, salvage any of it, you have to throw it all away. And so now that's a great little, it's a little bit of fear, uncertainty, and doubt that goes into that thing. But you go back into that retailer or that restaurateur and say, look, I can put a simple little sensor. It's no bigger than that. It costs about 20 bucks. I stick it in there with a bit of Velcro, no kidding, just Velcro it to the wall or a two-sided tape. Stick it in the freezer, but just put one little device called a, called a, a gateway in, in, your, in each one of those stores connect it to your Wi-Fi or to the internet, and the rest is on us. The rest is back in the cloud. All of that data comes up, and that freezer self-identifies its temperature once every five minutes forever. And now, instead of waiting for my freezer to go bad and all the stuff goes bad in it, and now I can't serve my customers at that restaurant until I get it fixed and get, it, get all the food replaced. Now, instead, it predicts when the, when the freezer is going to go bad. It's able to know and give you warning. This freezer has gone from zero degrees to 20 degrees and you've got 2.6 hours to get someone out here to replace that compressor. Here's the part number of the compressor and you got, and, and it's let, let us go ahead and dispatch the tech for you right now. That's a really cool example. That sort of end of the, that's the very end of the supply chain is that freezer or refrigerator that's in that retail or, or hospitality business. And so those are fairly simple, easy to conceptualize, IOT solutions that first of all get it, it, it's a it's a whole new thing for the reseller to sell that's good but it also now starts that reseller on a monthly recurring revenue plan and 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 I know Jim you've li literally written the book on this and that's good <laughs> literally wrote the book on it but but you start that thing modestly and you start somewhere and you, and and IOT is a great place a new technology it's something new to sell to your customers and it creates that monthly recurring revenue stream that gets your gets you started with those things so to me that's 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 almost a no-brainer yeah. so lean on your vendor lean on your distributor and almost start with one sensor and one application and then build from there like you don't have to become some iot expert right off the bat no if you if you can figure out how two-sided velcro works that's about it you're, <laughs> you're, you're that smart you get the thing installed and then you go back and, and set up those restaurants, even allow the restaurant tour to do it. It's pretty straightforward. And then at that point, what you do is it's also a managed services opportunity because every one of those sensors have a battery in them. that doesn't last forever. And so you now have this repair and replace process. You have this. So you're able to manage that thing for them. And it gives you it gives a managed services approach to what 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 computing devices do you manage and manage? Freezers and refrigerators, that's the business we're yeah. in, right? And so it gives you this um, sort of an MSP quality to your business model now. And you can now say, sure, we have an MSP uh, a solution as well. And so that leads to that one little sensor in the back of the store might lead to other opportunities all on the shelves, at the front of the store, an app for the store, 
on and on and on. It just, it's, it's a thing that's very sticky to start with, but it also grows legs and roots and goes from there. Yeah, it's a good gateway to the managed services provider model. So Brad, I guess if you can share how this applies to you and tell us how many employees do you have and then you're in the restaurant the restaurant vertical, uh, how are you gonna apply these technologies or where do you see these apply, uh, technologies potentially applied inside of your business and with your merchants? Yeah, well, as a, just to piggyback on Greg, yeah, it's a, it's a managed services play. You know, he talks about getting one IoT device. Well, if Chick-fil-A has got 100,000 IoT devices per store, I'm not gonna start with one. <laughs> you know, it, but, but it is the managed services play. It is totally the managed services play. And, you know, we're just talking about in the operation, you know, about your operations of your restaurant, what about your customers? Every one of them walk in the door with an IoT device. And I don't know anybody that wants to use their smartphone less. So, but you have a real problem with uh, who owns the data. You know, that's a, that's a big problem for everybody. And so having it on-prem and keeping it contained is a huge, you know, the edge is really the future. The cloud is moving. The cloud is moving from the data center to the kitchen, basically. Um, so, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's part of the managed services play. I, and I think, you know, POS is POS. And uh, POS, you know, it's not like in the olden days when there was Micros and Micros and oh, Aloha then came along, you know. Yeah. It's not that way anymore. But the thought about doing POS on-premise again is kind of an interesting twist. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, so we've talked about, again, focus on IoT, AI, blockchain, edge computing. Before we move on, is there anything else that either one of you thinks we should talk about? I know there's a million things we could talk about. What would you add to those those big four? Is there anything else folks should keep an eye on? Don't, don't forget cybersecurity. I know that's an old thing and we've all aware of PCI DSS and the things that have been required around that. But um, the, the, the bad actors keep getting badder and smarter <laughs> right and and uh and they they don't they're not likely to speak the same language we do they're not likely to have the same value systems that we do in this country and so you have to plan and prepare for the worst and every time the good guys make a step forward the bad guys just step up and figure it out and so so cybersecurity and security of your network is has never been more important because of what Brad said is that if you've got now, instead of just card readers or, or devices that are sending data immediately off into the cloud, instead you're collecting data, you're collecting store data, you're, you have things that are inside your network, all the more reason to have every single one of, not just the corporate, but every single one of those retail stores with a very, very secure, not just PCI compliant, but cybersecurity, bad actor, very current, latest technology kinds of uh, firewall technologies to make sure that all of that information is protected because a breach that's, that's just going to be bad news it's this bad pr for everybody yeah just devastating brad yeah and i would i would add to that one of the big things you know how big tci has been for the last decade i think the next big regulatory situation is what started in uh, europe last year in may and that is gdpr Right. General data protection uh, um, regulation. Well, mm -hmm. now it's 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 uh, going into effect in California in January, called California Consumer Protection Act, 
Mm. Yep. And, and that is huge because the real question is digital sovereignty. Who, uh, you know, self-sovereign identity. So, you know, right now we depend upon big players for managing our identity. And quite frankly, they don't do a great job. And the reason they don't do a good job is not that they're not good people. It's, it's the infrastructure, it's the design. When you put all the identity and data of other people in a central, large hosted environment, you, you open the door for hackers. But if self-sovereign, uh, uh, um, self-sovereign identity is the ability to um, actually use peer-to-peer technology. So when I have, let's take, let's take a, uh, you know, let's take a regular payment transaction. Right now, what you do is you swipe a digital card. It goes to a gateway. A gateway takes it to, you know, there's a, there's, there, it's called the rails. Imagine doing a payment with no rails. What would that do if you disintermediated all the rails and you were able to walk into a store, they have a wallet, you have a wallet, and instantly I make a transaction and that, that, that value is transferred, no settlement, real time. That actually exists today. You guys, you guys have heard of Square. You know, they're, they're a big uh, POS player. Uh, the owner of Square, Jack Dorsey, also owns Twitter. You know what the killer app is for blockchain? Messaging and payments instantly with no cost. Mm-hmm. That is in existence today. There's a company called, uh, it's called the Lightning Networks. Elizabeth uh, Stark is the CEO, good friends of Jack Dorsey. They are working on technology right now to put that into their POS system. There are no rails, instant transfer of value can be converted to dollars or euros or pesos or any other currency in real time. So you're getting your money, no matter what you pay with. That's the that's the reality. So you know you're talking about all this stuff, but it, it it's every piece of it. IoT affects every other piece, as does AI, as does machine learning, as does blockchain. Mm. So anyway, that's all, uh, all these know. things are interconnected at some place. You and, and regulation and regulation is the biggest problem because. I will tell you, you know, I, this big deal with Facebook and, and Libra coming out with their own private blockchain. Well, that's an oxymoron. A blockchain is public by by nature, so they're gonna they're gonna struggle. Now, th- their biggest threat is to the banks. <laughs> but when you start having public ability to, you know, and I'll tell you, these millennials get it, folks. <laughs> they're doing it. <laughs> And it's coming and it's closer than you think anyway. But the regulation is going to be statewide and every company is going to be responsible to if somebody says, I don't want you to have my data, then they have to take it off. But what self-sovereign identity will do is I will have control of my own personal data, period. If you want some of my data, you pay me for it. So now I become the recipient personally and my friends collectively we we put groups together and we start making uh we start making our we get paid for our advertisement our data i yeah i'd love to be facebook because you think about it 
Can you imagine, Greg, if ScanSource, you had zero cost of goods? Right, I get it. That's Facebook. <laughs> they they pay, you know, if, if you're getting something for free, and I think uh, uh, Tim Cook at Apple said this, if you're getting something for free, you are the product. <laughs> and it's it's going to change. It's changing. It's a big deal. It's going yeah, to affect us big time in our space. Yeah, these will radically change a, a lot of business models. So I have a couple more questions for you guys, but first I want to pause here for a moment to let our listeners and viewers know that an RSPA membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. The RSPA recently expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have a legal advisor, security advisor, sales coach, and a VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which your reseller starts at just $250 a year. That's 68 cents a day for these high value services. Without an RSP membership, you'll either spend thousands of dollars paying an outside consultant who doesn't know the channel like Brad and Greg do, or you'll end up going it alone during those turbulent times in our industry. Also, a thank you to our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors include Blue Star, Heartland, Greg's employer, ScanSource, and Shift4 Payments. And our gold sponsors are Epson and TSIS. To receive the benefits of an RSPA membership or RSPA sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. And finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2020, August 2nd through 5th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Retail Now is where the industry meets. Meets, and I'll also give a quick plug for Inspire that's coming up at the end of January in the Bahamas. We're going to have a conversation like this on next gen technologies. And mm -hmm. one of the panelists is David Gotson from HP. The one technology he wants to focus on edge computing. Uh, so it's something that you want to uh, check, check out for sure. So, mm -hmm. uh, again, we just have a couple minutes left, a couple questions. Greg, I'll start with you because I can't let this opportunity pass up without asking both of you this question. Combined, you have about 75 years of industry experience, right? So a diamond jubilee's worth of lessons learned. What is the biggest lesson you've learned over your career that you think our audience would benefit from? First, Greg, and then Brad. Well, so um, after a, a particularly um, serious blunder one day, my boss looked at me afterward and he says, Greg, he said, in your position, you can't afford to be unlucky. And I had to think about that one for a minute. I had to think about that. I still do to this day, but I'm going to tell you the way that you prevent being unlucky is that you prepare, you are prepared. And uh, sometimes I've been accused of being a little overprepared. That's okay too. But I'd rather be overprepared than unlucky. And so the harder you work, the luckier you are. The more you're prepared and the smarter you are, the luckier you are. And I don't know how to combine those two things, but that's the fact. And so in our, I guess in our business, in the times where we are right now, where there's so much, uh, so much, so many things that compete for our time and energy, so much competition going on, so much consolidation going on, in these industries, um, honestly, uh, our customers, I say to them, look, you can't afford to be unlucky. And, and so the best way to overcome that is to think ahead, prepare, listen, read, and, uh, and at some point, be prepared to take some risk. A little bit of risk is a uh, measured risk is a good idea, I think. Um, and, you know, don't go off the deep end, but, um, but take a little risk. And uh, I think that that serves you well. Can't afford to be unlucky. Very good, Brad. Yeah, I would piggyback on the risk part. Um, 
the, the things that I look back over since 1985, when I've been in this business, um, that I, if I were to do it over, I would have jumped quicker at things because the opportunities, early adopters really, you know, they get the pioneers get the arrows, but they also have some strategic advantages. Um, but the other thing, and I mean, this is, you know, this is not a plug for the RSPA. Yeah, it is. It's a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> I tell you, my dad told me back when I first came to the first RSPA back in the 1980s, he, we walked into a, a session and he said, now I want you to turn around and look out there in the hall. See those guys talking on the couches? He says, that's where the real action is. <laughs> but the, the RSPA, I would say, if you're going to be a player in this industry, go out and meet people. I mean, if there's no other place like that where you can talk to fellow researchers. I can't tell you, there's no way any of us is smart enough to know everything. But collectively, we know a whole lot. And so um, to me, that is probably the, you know, the biggest strategic advantage of our company is being part of that association, all the people we know. Got it. Well, I can say I was a self-employed publisher in my early and mid-20s. Uh, from 93 to 98, and uh, I went it, went alone as a small business owner, and I thought, man, if I could ever get together with small other sports magazine and local magazine publishers, the things that I would have done so much, I mean, I did so many things that were like, why did I do it that way? I, I didn't know any better. So that's a good part, like really take advantage of the communities uh, that you're engaged in. So thank you for the plug, Brad. And uh, last question we ask all our guests, Brad, we'll start with you. Can you recommend for our audience a book to read or a podcast to listen to that would help them uh, move their business forward? Uh, yeah. So the one that the, I read, I'm like Jim, only I don't, I don't outline all my books like you do. But, but the one that I most recently read that I think really plays into this is a book called Life After Google. It's a bestseller. came out um, in... Uh, it came out late last year. A guy named Gilder. He was the he was Reagan's uh, guru. This guy's an old guy. Fascinating book. The first hundred pages is going to be a lot of slogging through because you're talking about guys like Gerdel and uh, all these great mathematicians. But he really, I think, has some insights on where this whole thing with IoT is going, where edge computing, blockchain. 5G. I mean, he and he interviews a lot of people. So I would uh, life after Google would be a big one on my book. I've read it through twice now. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Greg, what uh, podcast or book would you recommend? Well, um, so here it is. Uh, Create Marketplace Disruption. Um, this is a great book. It um, he, he warns us against you heard me refer to this earlier. This is my quoting the book about defend and extend is that we, we tend to say, well, our business is fine. Thank you very much. Our business model has served us all these years just fine. And we tend to defend it. And then we say, well, we're going to improve it a little bit. We're going to add, we're going to, we're going to extend it just this way. And he, he, he will tell you that, first of all, that's a, that's a formula that will take you right to the bottom fast, but ultimately by uh, creating a success formula for your company that will disrupt a marketplace. And it might also disrupt your company. But it, but it probably should. And then the power of locking in, locking your company into that success formula. That sounds kind of basic, but I'm going to tell you, that's the reason I like this book is he lays it out in, a, in real clear terminologies and ways to uh, ultimately 
create a whole new company program that will create marketplace disruption with something he calls the Phoenix Principle. So that's one book. The other book I would recommend is uh, is a thing called On the Edge by a guy named Jim Roddy. Really, really great approach to life because it takes uh, life in little bitty chunks and gives you a, a really great perspective on how to uh, how to take a, a bar business model and turning into something that's that you can be proud of. So I'd recommend this too. Well, I me too. That was my obvious first choice. Oh yeah, that's right, Brad. I I did it. You know, I've always joked in the back of my head when I ask that question to say to somebody, wrong, your answer is one of the books that I wrote. But I guess, uh -huh. so Greg, you got the right answer uh, this time. So that's that's very kind of you to Wayne say. Gretzky. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne <laughs> Gretzky. I'll add, so usually I don't contribute here, you know, for the, the, uh, the though I am publishing on the Artist Pay blog, my list of Roddy's recommended reading, which is now like, I think, 154 books at this point. But for the topics that Greg and Brad, you were talking about, disruption. There's one called Disrupt You by Jay Samet, and it talks about someone's going to disrupt your business. It might as well be you. So why don't you go out and do that? And then tying in with that is one called Dual Transformation. And it talks about how do you maintain your current business, but then also start this new venture that you have without getting pulled into the past of like you've been talking about, Greg, making just these small changes to your organization. It really dives into some of the tactics mm -hmm. with that. So there are all sorts of resources out there for folks. And I think it just ties in with what you guys are saying in terms of you got to listen, you got to read, you got to take a risk, uh, but you got to be informed first. Wonderful. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. I, we hope our listeners enjoyed our discussion today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. The more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the point of sale channel, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, go, thanks again very much to Greg Dixon and Brad Holloway for sharing their wisdom with us today. And thanks also to RSPA Marcom manager, Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music. And last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks again for listening and watching and goodbye everybody.